1: Welcome to part one of our classical Q&A show for October. I'm Martin Gregg and with me today are Graham Hunter, host of The Big Interview and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. We have questions, as always, from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Hunter, and from our wonderful sponsors at Bet365. Firstly, I want to say a big hello to our new socios who have joined up since our last Q&A and in no particular order, they are... Dario Marconi, Cameron Khan, Ralph Nemo, Ulrich Bredegaard, Bill B. D, Ryan Hart, Scott Johnson, Stuart Wood, Jim Finney, John Graham, Liam Duncan, Sean Laurie, Michael Riddick, Robert Gray and Linda Perkins. This Q&A goes out to you guys. Thank you for all your support. Today we are focusing our attentions on Sunday's classical Barcelona v Real Madrid at the Camp Nou. And um, We were actually due to record this yesterday morning but given that both sides were in Champions League action this week it only felt right to nudge the recording back to this morning which is Thursday On Tuesday, Real Madrid hammered Shakhtar Donetsk an S5-0 away from home and Barcelona beat that Dynamo Kiev 1-0 in the camp now on Wednesday night uh, I think it was a good decision to move this recording because both matches were very instructive in terms of the weekend and it takes us into our first question from socio Andrew Graves who said, Madrid looked great Barca got the win. What do these performances herald for the weekend's Classico? Graeme, we might start with you. I think you were uh, at the camp now last night. What did you glean from the Barca performance in terms of, of the weekend?
2: Well, um, first of all, I, I can't echo strongly enough what you said about uh, new socials. It's, it's magical to have you on board. Send in your questions. Um, feel free to criticise when you want to. But enjoy the interviews. Enjoy the Q&As. As far as, you know, you framed that um, question on the 50% about Barcelona getting the results. There's something um, pretty fundamental about that in the current um, climate at Camp Nou because this was a hat-trick, a trick-titch of games which were of gigantic importance. Okay, they could have lost against Valencia and... Scrape through the week with results from the other two games. But to to win that match against the Valencia side, which threatened them, which hit the post, as well as scoring, um, and where Ter Stegen had to pull off a a pretty remarkable save. And um, to have the Pepe Bordel, the Valencia manager, coming off, saying afterwards, had the one that hit the post gone in, had the penalty not been given, I think it was a good penalty, we could have won. So... 3-1, 3-1, Ansu the hero, there are two ways t- to look at that. Is, is it a resurrection? Is it a breathing of life? Or is it simply a result? Um, but if you tie it together with two out of three so far of their of their mega week, and I don't care what anybody says, particularly retrospectively, th- OK, there's a buzz of reasonably good feeling. Ansu has renewed. Barcelona did beat Dinamo Kiev, Um they they are fragile. It looks, but we'll talk about this later. But it looks very much like they won't have either Araujo at the back or Pedri in midfield fit to start against Real Madrid. Probably not fit for the bench. Probably not. We're, we're recording at a little bit of a distance and with Classicos you never know. When you win two out of three in in a climate where number one, I go back to my point, the Dinamo Kiev game apart from Champions League finals, Classicos included. Was the most important game for Barcelona since certainly since I've been alive. Never mind reporting to lose and go out after fifty percent of the Champions League group, to go out for the first time in a group stage since for well for twenty one years, at a time when they're you know they've lost one point five billion down the back of the sofa, and qualifying and playing a couple of knockout games can make a. 70 million, 80 million euro difference, that would have been literally catastrophic. So, in terms of how they approached the class and I was lucky enough last night to get an interview with Jordi Alba, who had a massive big, big ice packet wrapped around his ankle and who had to hobble between interviews. It really, to be honest with you, as much as journalists need access to players, that was one of those where, had I been bust on, I'd have said, OK, he, he might be man of the match, but he's not coming out. Sunday's more important. Anyway, long and short, um, and I listened at great length to Piquet, who was being interviewed in the in flash stall uh, next to me. Th- there is, one, a mood of determination that um, this classical, with a victory, Piquet was saying we go above Madrid... We was saying there'll be a full house. There won't. You go into the game having incurred no more injuries, having only conceded one goal across two games. albeit at the Dynamo. We're ultra negative, and you've done your business. So, given that Kuman was ordered to resurrect four three three by his president, which normally. I mean, you're about, Martin, you're about to release a book, um, The Invincibles, by Sacchi. And Saki worked at a club, as did Ancelotti and, and Capello, where uh, Berlusconi, a president, interfered and tried to get coaches to pick his 11 and so on. And they made light work of that. But the norm is if a president is interfering, there are, there are problems. The fact is this president, Joan Laporta at Barcelona, has put blinkers on Kuman saying if you want to keep your job, you were out the door. Geordie Craig persuaded me. You want to keep your job? Stop fucking around with 3-5-2. Play 4-3-3. Three, three. He has, and lo and behold, they've played better. The players are more comfortable. They're more fluent. Two victories. On the form that they've shown in those two games, Martin, to answer our social question, they, they lose to Madrid. Unless there is an absolute overhaul of the positional play, the speed of passing and the ability to finish chances and also just the, the ability to be streetwise enough to compete for 50-50 balls when they break loose. As, as we stand today, if this game was being played tonight, I would have said it's a 3-1 win for Madrid at Camp Nou.
0: Yeah, the difference at the moment between the two teams in terms of how they go into the game is that Madrid have got a plan. They've got a long-term plan um you know decisions like bringing Kamavinga in last summer who's, who's really started well and, and it's going to be Mbappe next summer almost definitely Barca living from day to day you know i mean it's just how do we get how do we get to the end of the week um how do we get past the next crisis um um they played like a sack of potatoes last night and fortunately Joan Laporte was then able to to take the ribbons off um, a new um and Sufati contract, so he's going to stay until, or according to his contract, he'll be staying until 2027, which is just brilliant news. But um, it's, everything has to be short-term at the moment. Some Barcelona, some crazy Barcelona fans will tell you that, you know what, we'd rather just be knocked out. We don't want to be humiliated again in, in the group stages. We don't want to get a thumping. Well, you know, you get £20 million, um, if you reach the quarters, um, and Barcelona cannot afford to to wave away that sort of money, and also if they finish third, you're in the Europa League, and and in terms of being humiliated, that's that's not great either. So it was so important last night to get the win, um, and you know in many ways it will it will it's kind of put the bar low for Sunday. I mean, had they won comfortably last night, which they should have done, and they missed so many chances. Um, had they won comfortably last night, then maybe the optimism would have, would have gone up a little bit too much. As it is, because they were so poor, um, I think most Barca fans and the ones that actually go to the games and inside the stadium are really dealing with this well and they're, they're, they're behind the team. There were a few whistles in the second half last night, but um, by and large, they're, they're, they're kind of with the team. And, and they, will, they will go into Sunday's game thinking, you know, we're, we're not going to win this game. On form, Madrid are in a much better place.
1: Yeah, I mean I think we'll we'll come back to some of the issues around Barcelona and you know the answer renewal as well but let's touch on Madrid because obviously prior to the international break they had had a couple of Really bad results. You know, obviously Sheriff in the Champions League, and then um, losing to Espanyol in the league. Um, so, so they were they were not in a good place coming into that Shakhtar game. But you know what a performance! I mean, that was an utterly uh, emphatic performance and result.
0: Shakhtar helped them out. With, with, uh, they played a big part in the first two Madrid goals, but Madrid were brilliant. Um, uh, Benzema is the best player in La Liga at the moment, I think, without any question. Um, the, the, there there've been a, there have been a few wobbles at the back but i think alaba uh, and militao as a partnership has great potential if they, if they can play together week in week out that's only going to get better they're bound to miss Howell. L- L- lucas vasquez actually played quite well by his standards at right back um, against Shakhtar, but i don't think he'll start against barca uh, it's big news that mendy comes back they've got the the three degrees in midfield you know the modric kroos and casemiro um, and Vinicius is playing sensationally, and he's got the nice uh, little dilemma, of Ancelotti: Do I play Valverde or do I play Rodrigo? So they're in a they're in a very good place. The opposition were poor, but then the opposition against Barca were poor, uh, and, and the difference in the way they put them away is, is um, you
1: know, it, it was there for all to see last night and the night before. Graham, um, what, what did you make of it? I mean, it was just such an enjoyable, eye-catching performance. I mean. Two incredible strikes from Vinicius Junior uh, and an assist as well from him. What was your take on it?
2: First, first of all, uh, uh, if I can go a little bit off-piste, um, I, I've really enjoyed these last two Real Madrid managers because, um, as much as whenever we used to watch Zidane talking, either in live situations after a game or in building up to a game, he got dreadfully pissed off with the rubbish that the the media threw at him and there was, from our profession, a whole heap of boring, disrespectful crap that was repeated each week. But just about every three or four press conferences or interviews, he'd quite simply tell you the truth. And that's a rarity. When a manager will will volunteer something and go back to what I would say is, is maybe not the old days, but certainly when the three of us would have regularly been at the first stage of our manager interviews or manager press conferences, and and by and large, there was a less gladiatorial uh, behaviour style, and managers could actually tell you things. Sometimes you'd get into their office after matches, you'd get a wee whiskey, and they would they would chat to you, and they would you know you'd sit in a manager's office, a group of six or seven of you, and they would give you stuff that were that was diamond material for the next few weeks. Well. Zidane every now and again would do that. And Ancelotti did it, is the reason I mentioned this, ahead of the, the game in Kiev against Donetsk. Because <laughs> asked about why it was in recent seasons around about October Real Madrid consistently flagged, he went, I don't know. But if you come back off an international break, it's definitely the case that you notice it. Well, they, they didn't in, in Ukraine. And he said, you know, the... Important time of the season, and not now, it's April, May when the trophies are being won. Again, fine. But in being asked to analyse the two defeats, he largely put Sheriff down to an anomaly, a fluke, because Madrid had umpteen chances to score and didn't. And then Sheriff, through Till, who repeated his actions in San Ciro, scored a wonder goal. It was absolutely gorgeous. The first Sheriff goal was pinpoint what Real Madrid are not good at the ball was into the behind the right back the ball is crossed Alaba's out of position nobody's ready for it bish bash bosh it's not quite a breakaway goal but it's a go- it's an analytics goal they've known exactly how to damage Real Madrid at Espanol, they get outplayed literally all across the pitch they they try to go toe-to-toe they sit far too deep and as Espanyol realised not just we're in this game it was very like a game three or four seasons ago when Girona went into a match against Trail Madrid, up in, in their own stadium after the game having won 2-1 Porto said at halftime we all looked at each other and said we can win this so they go into the game not believing they can win it they find out that they can Espanol had a similar sensation in winning that league game, but they, they worked it out sooner. They've got a fabulous coach. They've got quite a diminutive squad, but one that plays quick, nimble, aggressive football. They're not absolutely awash with talent. They're not. And one of their important players, Dardar, is, is blows hot and cold and is a bit of a, a chica about how much effort he's willing to put in And then, if he puts in a big effort, gets knackered about 75 minutes in. But he can play. RDT up front, should be playing national team football. And in the match against Espanyol, Romero created an Alamo situation. They they, they sat far too far back. They allowed themselves to be swamped. They lost confidence. They lost goals. And they found that there was no way back. And Ancelotti came out and said, I made a mistake. We can't play 4-4-2 with this team. We have to play 4-3-3. They did that. But they, it, the structure doesn't win you games, obviously. We all know that. It's about how the players interpret it, whether there are nuances to, to change when you're playing Shakhtar away. And in every instance, the the positional intelligence of Real Madrid, the ability to use width, because the ball didn't get played through the midfield a great deal, um, really by either side. Midfielders had jobs to do, but it wasn't as if Madrid built through Casemiro and Modric and Cruz quite so much it was about width, it was about pressing high and pinning Shakhtar back. And that four-three-three. know what you're doing, press high, use really quick transitions, unleash Vinicius whenever possible. These, and, and also centrally, which is a theme I've been going on for a long time because he played centrally for Flamengo when he was scoring the goals that got him his move to Roma did. If they play in that style they'll take points and goals from the classical. So what I made about the game in the Olympic Stadium in Kiev was that the players, it's funny how, again, during our reporting careers, the three of us, there have been times, certainly prior to um, Lippi and his tridente of of Ravanelli and and Viali and call it Lombardo or if you want to call it Del Piero, but he played a trident. The tridente was the rebirth of 4-3-3, but during our working lives, particularly in the 80s, 4-3-3 was a swear word, people thought that you could not play midfield with three men in it, and now not only has it been in vogue for 20 years, the resumption of 4-3-3, and and using it properly, at both Real Madrid and Barcelona this week, has had Handel's Hallelujah Chorus playing
1: in the ears of the President and the fans. I'm going to go to a quick break, but I think, um, maybe not all of our listeners have seen every kick of the ball this week and if they haven't then I would certainly direct them towards the Madrid-Donesque highlights not least for Modric's assist for Vinicius Junior's first goal I think it was with the chip finish over the goalkeeper um, which was this kind of amazing sort of spaghetti junction in the penalty box and Modric plays this eye of the needle pass through to Vinicius Junior which I just thought was, was just amazing um, I mean... <laughs> I mean, you, you guys see this caliber of football and footballers week in week out, and um, you know, to me, it's just it's just astonishing to see that kind of level. Are you guys inured to that, or does it does it still quicken your pulse in the same way when you see that type of quality?
0: No, it's it's still. I mean, it's like saying, did you, did you ever used to get did you used to get tired of Messi? Oh, he's done that again. Oh, not so he's done the same again. I can't believe he did that last week. Uh, it's great to to watch them and. Um, you know, there's uh, a silly debate about what's the best midfield: Xavi Iniesta, Busquets or Casemiro, Modric and and Cross. And um, what that debate tells you is that it, just how good the the Real Madrid trio is. But you know, they're they're planning for for beyond that, and um, you know, Valverde and, and Camavinga and, and Blanco will 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 come through at some point and Are already there, knocking on the door. So, but yeah, they've been fantastic to watch. And Casemiro started the season very slowly, by the way. He's, yeah, but he was better against Shakhtar. Let's see how he is uh, on, on Sunday. But um, Modric just never seems to get any older, never seems to get any slower, certainly not in, in mentally anyway.
2: Yeah, Martin, I, I knew already that you thought that, that that was an eaten mess of a goal. And those who didn't see it, which is your point, first of all, Benzema's power run is is so crucial to the goal because he spreads the pitch left to right because he's gone down the left wing. But one of the things that makes um, Benzema so special, and uh, there's nobody in this conversation that would moan if if he, rather than Chiellini or rather than Messi or Lewandowski, if Benzema won the Ballon d'Or. Because his form for years now has been literally extraordinary. I think he's underestimated, I think he's underpublicized. although he's on the campaign stump at the moment, um, flogging interviews at ten a penny, like... Uh, Would you like to talk longer In phoning people out Do you you want to talk about the Ballon d'Or But his run there And one of the things that makes him so special Is that he drags the play Both towards the Dinamo goal And wide So that the Ukrainian team Has got uh, too many choices to make And instead of looking to cut in Onto his right foot He sees Modric And cuts it back to Modric And Modric you talk about becoming inured to something. Modric sees that pass coming before Benson has thought about it, and therefore he's in a position just to—he doesn't move. He do, he doesn't even do an Ancelotti eyebrow wiggle. He just uses—he leaves his right foot there, so the ball takes a, a a little dead cushion volley off it, and and it's it's a beautiful billiard shot is all it is. There's, n- there's no work involved apart from brain work for Modric. And the ball rockets off into Vinicius's path. And again, the difference with him is that there's a little virtual cycle with Vinicius because in this monster gobble, monosodium glutamate, blinking blinking your opinions changed world that we live in, people gave absolutely zero time to look at the things he was doing well and to understand the things he was doing poorly could be trained... Nonetheless, as um, experience has crept into his 21-year-old brain and as goals and the respect of his colleagues has come, the accelerant, you know, the the Dexie's Midnight Runner for what he's doing right now is Ancelotti, who said, listen, fella, you're going to get no special favours, but I think you're exceptional. I want you to be scoring goals, making goals, carrying responsibility. I want to pick you. I'm going to pick you. I trust you. Now, it doesn't mean he gets an easy ride at all, but because he's trusted, that flood of confidence where he knows he's respected and trusted by his teammates, he knows he's playing better, he's getting marvellous coverage finally in the media, and Ancelotti's a believer. So suddenly, that split-second decision, not about passes, because for a year, a year and a half now, he's been stopping and trying to ensure that he makes the right pass when he's made good ground. So there's already jam on your bread, but what he does now is he's he's he just goes into a quiet space when he finishes. When before it was like that, you know the, the 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 noise at the end of the the Beatles, you know, Day in a Life. It was like you could hear the Albert Hall and the the violins and the trombones, and it's ah, like, oh, I've missed again. Now what he hears is just like beautiful Brian Eno calmness, and Bosh, he scores and he scores and he scores and he scores. And there's a process there that can be lifted and applied to many, many, many football situations, not just Vinicius.
0: He's already got more goals this season than he than he got in the, the entirety of last season.
2: I think he's got... Oh, or that, any of his right? seasons, that, Pete. Any of his seasons. He's got more goals now than... The previous yeah, and Even if you take all his seasons with Cup and, and, and Europe and any season where all his competitions mm. are aggregated, his current goal total is higher than ever before in his 20-year tw- life.
0: The respect he's got now from his teammates. Where a year on from the famous uh, Borussia Gladback tunnel scene, when Benzema is saying to Mendy, "Look, don't give it to him. It's like he's playing for the other side," um, and Benzema's <laughs> reaction to Vinicius's second goal against Shakhtar is he just kind of throws his arms out and, and as if to say, "That was absolutely brilliant." Uh, I think he's got three three things three big things going for him. One is that he's got Graham going into bat for him, and Graham has backed him for the last. He's backed him right from the start, right from the start. Um, yeah, and he hasn't, he hasn't changed from from that. Uh, and the other two things are he, physically. I, I think, um, and obviously, this could change, I suppose, through his career. And I hope we don't curse him. But physically, he looks like he's he's indestructible. Uh, you've got poor old Ansu, who's already had one knee but it had to be rebuilt. Vinicius hasn't got any of those problems, and he looks like he can play week after week after week after week. And also mentally. Uh, he, he is benefiting from the confidence of, of not having to look over his shoulder and think, anti going, we're going to make a change. I bet it's going to be me, as, as was the case with Zidane. But mentally, he seems to be... He, he can get over things very, very quickly. I mean, he comes out with a big smile on his face for the next game, whatever happened in the last game. And if you compare that to someone like Jal Felix, who's a sensational talent of similar age... Um, and may well you know, I'm sure we'll go on to do great things but when he gets taken off or whatever he seems to have the weight of the world on his shoulders Vinicius doesn't have that so I think he has a mental strength and a physical strength that are really really going to help him um, push on
1: Okay we've actually got We've got another question On Vinicius Junior In in the second part Of the Q&A So um, keep your powder dry A little bit for that guys But uh, as for Just now it's time for a break We'll be back in a moment With a couple more questions To complete part one Of this month's (laughs) Q&A And we're back with some questions on Barca. First up is socio-Kevin Jimenez. He says, I don't think I've been less excited for a classical ever before. Both teams are shadows of their former selves. I also miss the as being at night time. The atmosphere is so much better. My question is, how can you sell this match to a depressed Barca fan who expects nothing but a defeat? Is the answer simply answer? Ansu.
0: Yeah, I wish it was at night as well, Kevin, I've got to say, Um, but um, the thing is, it depends what you want from your life experience, if you always want to be um, uh, incredibly excited by everything, I don't, sometimes I just want to be fascinated, and right now I'm fascinated to see how Barca rebuild, um, you know, post-Messi, and and Ansu obviously is going to be at, at the heart of that, I mean... If you saw the game last night, and I'm sure Kevin was watching it, um, the moment when Ansu just has to roll the ball back to Coutinho or Busquets and they score, and he doesn't, he tries the bicycle kick. Now, in, what was it, 15 years of Messi Graham, I never ever saw him, of all the brilliant things he did, I never ever saw Messi do anything that wasn't the best choice in terms of in terms of it, the move ending up as a goal. He never did anything for show, all the brilliance, it was never for the gallery. It was always for the ball to end up in the back of the net and to win. Um, So, you know, Ansu is just starting out, and and we know that he's he's not going to be messy. but um, he he has the magic. He's he's been sprinkled with the stardust. We saw that from the way he came back after his injury and and, and the impact that he made instantly coming on on as a substitute. So he's someone that you can get very, very excited about. And the prospects of Ansu and a midfield with Gabi and Pedri in it, I I, I, I don't think um, it's quite as bleak, the future, as as is perhaps being painted. Um, having said that, um, I think you're going to lose on Sunday, Kevin. Sorry about
2: that. <laughs> I have to tell you, when you get an answer as well composed as that, it, it it's a little iniesta answer you've just been given. You know, you I have a memory, would be my answer. I, I remember many, many times when, um, in, the, in the 21 years that I've lived in this country, when... A bus on a win seemed like a rarity. It seemed like a a very special occasion when they went to Bernabeu with, if not a loser's mentality, a hangdog, potentially beaten mentality. And you're allowed, if you feel disenchanted, that's fine. But Pete's expression, it depends what you want for your life experience, is a really good one because this is nourishment. This is where... People learn. It's where people change. This is when you can sieve out those who who look as if they they might make it, but this beca- can become a litmus test—not not whether they win or lose, but how they comport themselves, what attitude they bring to the match, the the duels, adversity if there is some. Um, I think it's good for clubs to all clubs to um, to suffer. Um, to go through um, Purdue, to to have to change, to have to realise about work levels. Right now, talent aside, Barcelona and training aren't working hard enough and that's Koeman's uh, mindset and the club's mindset. There are players who've come into the club right now who are quite surprised at the standards. And Pete and I were in this country when Ida Johnson joined Barcelona from Chelsea and literally couldn't believe in comparison to the Mourinho regime that he'd been through at Chelsea couldn't believe how soft how, how limpid the work levels how many sessions there were how much time off the players got and he actually went and demanded to Rijkaard that they upped their level now Rijkaard's life was much more dishevelled than Kuman's is but Kuman while he's hanging on to his job is fighting because he's stubborn because he's a Dutchman he's not uh, Self examining and going, oh, maybe there are things I can change. He was ordered to restore uh, 433. And as yet, he hasn't been ordered because the, the president, the board, don't have the the know how to say this is how a training regime should be. But when Guardiola came in and, and succeeded Rijkaard, uh, it wasn't simply Guardiola's clarity of ideas and his his Leonardo da Vinci coaching style, it was a general tightening, upping of standards. And, you know, signings, talent, youth aside, Barcelona are are in a similar situation. Um, What what do they call it here? no a trough whereby they're getting by on talent and attitude rather than preparation and exceptional coaching. I think that Cuban is an exceptional man. He definitely, in revitalising Alba and Busquets and Messi last season, which he did, takes credit. He takes enormous credit for the emergence of Arojo, Menguesa, Gavi, Pedri, Balde and course And he had Ansu largely robbed from him, but... In in being careful with him in midweek, I had to doff my cap to Koeman because the temptation to play Ansu from the start and, and play three times from the start must have been gigantic, must have been absolutely huge. And he didn't. So the long and short is at the moment that there are there are standards at Football Club Barcelona, which which, you know, bleed into the performance that you'll see on Sunday. And if you're a fan. Then Because Pete and I are chroniclers of of what happens in Spain Neither of us are fans of Barcelona or Real Madrid But if you are a fan, one, this is the time to get behind them And two, this is the time where you can learn, where you can draw conclusions And football is occasionally about losing So if it's a defeat on Sunday afternoon, which most of us think it it will be But football, bloody hell, you never know Sorry to quote Fergie Kevin Um,
1: Watch and learn Okay, um, you touched on the Koeman situation there This probably takes us into our final question of part one uh, From our sponsors at Bet365 Who asked what would a win or a defeat mean to Koeman and Barcelona? Um, just to add on to that Socio Robert Ryan asks Is this more a must win for Barcelona with their recent struggles and issues? So we'll talk about that in a second Add on one other part to that Socio Chris Hennigan Hi Graham and Pete uh, Gavi, Pedri, Pedri Ansu um, And maybe to less extent Nico and even poor old Ricky Pooch can they truly herald a brave new world for Barca, either now or the inevitable post-Cumin era? So we'll come to that in a minute. But let's let's talk a little bit about the the Kuman situation, which is kind of rumbling on week to week, and the must-win nature of this game for um, for for the club and on and for Cumin.
0: I, I suppose it, um, I, I mean, I was going to say he's past the worst, but it depends on the nature. If they do lose, it depends on the nature of the defeat. Um, because it's obviously one thing to lose in a, in a tight game where they've played well, and another to be to be well beaten. Um, there is still Chavi lurking in the background, and there does seem to have been a uh, Laporte seems to be closer to Chavi now than than perhaps at any time since he became president. It's always the option that's there, um, and I suppose it will be possibly back on the table. Um, if they suffered a heavy defeat, I mean, Kuma sat down himself in his press conference before the Atletico Madrid game and basically talked like a man who, who knew this was going to be his last match in charge. Um, Graham touched on on the on the role that, that Jordi Cruyff may have had in in. Um, I, mean, I don't think he wants to take responsibility for having been the one who says no, we must not fire him, but at least showing some sort of respect to to, to someone who came into the club when. You know things weren't great. Dealt with the situation last season with losing Suarez. I, I have sympathy for Kooman, and I and I and I think sometimes he gets a hard time. If he says it is what it is after a beating suffered by Bayern, then he's absolutely slaughtered. But Gerard Piqué can say um, we could have played for three hours and we wouldn't score, and, and, and then no one says anything. Um, I, I think I think earlier in the season he was he was being hammered when all he had was Luke de Jong and Memphis Depay. Um, and he was trying to make the point that you can't play the expansive football that people are demanding if you haven't got the wingers he's now got Ansu back he's he's converted Dest whether that happens on Sunday as well will be interesting Uh, I think you should take credit for the fact that when everyone last season was screaming for Ricky Pudge he said no 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 no, Pedri and then Elish and likewise this season some people still saying where's Ricky Um, and lots of people talking about Nico who I haven't seen much of but I'm sure is going to be a great player but again Koeman says "No, no 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 Gabby so you know there's something the, the, there are there are reasons um, to give him some praise. Uh, how long he hangs on if there's an absolute hammering, I, I think. I think we might we might maybe we will have Xavi back on the table. I think as an option, but um, I think he I think he's turned the corner, and I don't think they will be destroyed by Madrid. Um, and and I think he'll stay for this transition season. Xavi.
2: Yeah. Listen. Hello to all three socios. I. I <clears throat> I think Pete gave you another answer further back in his expression about living day-to-day. Day. Um, this isn't a season of massive clarity and strategy and peaceful mindfulness. There's a, a crisis every time um a bus open a filing cabinet. I mean, right now, their debt management is, is literally a day-to-day thing. They're in open warfare with their own members, socios. They had a general meeting last week and they went so slowly, particularly when socios were furious about issues that didn't pertain to this board and Laporta was filibustering so that he could get off the subject. And the the, the AGM had to be abandoned. And there are rules, there are laws that actually said if you abandon it, and you don't instantly. Then the minute you say this is a bat this means a ban. you don't say when it's coming. The board can be kicked out. So they've got away it? with that one. They're going to miss the mean? game, weren't they, Graham? Was it? Was uh, oh, we are. Uh, the Valencia like, game is kicking well, off. Oh, there's a g- oh, there's a game. <laughs> there's a game. <laughs> what, uh, I mean, so, part two, second half. Mine are part two. Now, setting half is this weekend, ahead of the Clásico. Meanwhile. Ex-President Bartomeu is giving evidence to police about a criminal investigation. There are um, constant renegotiations going on, which have gone extremely well if they've renewed Pedri and and Ansu for a billion euros each. And all the little stupid jokes about, oh, that makes them Newcastle players by by January the 1st and all that kind of shit... Uh, you know, ha, ha ha, but at least they're properly protecting their players because nobody can spend a billion. That's that's fantastic. Finally they've done the contractual work well. Kuhn's future is is just literally the hokey cokey And that's um one percent of of the of the, you know, flying spaghetti monster rubbish that's going on within that board, within that club, at the training ground, at the stadium offices, every single day. And there will be another revelation. There will be another proper shot coming over the next three weeks. And therefore, amidst all that white noise, while, while I, I agree largely with what Pete's assessment of cumman was, Koeman has has done things. I think he's an absolutely stinking rotten analyser of games in action and, and the decisions he makes consistently over six, seven months aren't good enough and the players know it. It, he is he and and on this I sympathize, but it, nonetheless he's still to blame. He has got caught up in a me versus you thing, with, with Laporta. Now Laporta seeded that by in the summer saying, "Well, I mean, literally coming out and saying, oh, keeping you because there's nobody else." son. so you know, on you go, yeah, do do your do your best. That's a that's a rubbish way to you know run a ballroom, and. I I would have done that. I would have gotten in this mess too, but he's 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 forgotten little things but how he expresses himself in public, to the players, what decisions he makes, based upon what's my job? My job is not to keep my job. My job is to keep on doing the right things as a coach for Football Club, Barcelona He's been given space to do that by Jordy Cruyff and orders from above that have helped him get back to focusing. But he's a street fighter. Kuman, make no mistake about it. And he got involved in a Jake LaMotta brawl with the media and with Laporta. And that, that took away from his ability to do the job well. I agree with Peter that unless there's an absolute humiliation, then he, he probably, I, I was going to say stumbles on, but that's now not right. Two wins in a week, um, three straight home wins for the first time in a season, this season. So certainly I, I think there's a case that he He reaches the the winter market there 's an international break coming up which very very often is is a, is a gallows moment for coaches there's time to make changes time to just about time to bear a new man in so uh, let 's wait and see you know i i I think we are sitting knitting by the side of the guillotine, and the blade falls at some stage you know in the next at worst in in the next seven eight months making it to the end of the season is is a is a big prediction and it might happen but i think that uh, joan laporta's he's used all his lives there's there's the way i want to say it he he has no lives remaining
1: just to, just to touch on chris Hennigan's question about this new generation gavi pedri ansu ricky Puch, etc uh, i don't want i don't want to twist chris's Question to my own agenda, but I mean, this answer renewal is quite hot off the press, isn't it? I mean, this was just announced. Was last it, night, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was la- last, last night, night. after so the match. What, what so can you can you both tell us your take on this? I mean, was was this inevitable that it was going to happen? You would imagine, you know, I think he's he's got Mendes as his agent. He must have had offers piling up. Was this just inevitable that he was going to extend, or you know, what are the implications of the of the fact that he now has? Well,
0: according to uh, Bartomeu, um Barça had a 150 million euros offer for him last season. Was it Graham from a Premier League club? Well, in bartomeo's final season, um, so I'm sure um, you know that that sort of interest definitely exists. It's a six year deal, which is which is long. Um, as Graham says, the billion release clause keeps everyone away. Um, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just great news. They, they had to keep him. It's one thing to lose Messi almost at the end of his career. To lose, some, to lose the, the next Messi, it, it not as going to be as good, but the, the, the next number 10 um, at the start of his career would have just been absolutely
2: catastrophic. Having lost Elish.
0: Having lost Elish. He,
2: he, he's not a 10, he's not a Messi, but Elish was going to be literally... Literally extraordinary in that Barcelona system to be doing what his things in that position and the degree to which his progression would have linked with Gavi, would have linked with Nico, would have linked with Pedri, would have linked with Ansu. That's that's you know, I think people outside the Barcelona fan base, outside that maybe the people that you and I see week in, week out, Peter. Elish going f- for, for nothing is is you know, is verging on disastrous and it. Martin used the word inevitable, which in this club right now um, is, is too strong. Uh, and, and all you were doing was rephrasing Chris's uh, question, Martin. But So inevitable, the, the Barcelona have been able to carve out the way to renew him and, and, and have the money available at a time when they've been reducing the salaries of Piquet and Busquets and Alba and, and Sergio Roberto, etc, etc, etc. Those players know where some of their mm-hmm. money has gone. It's gone to Ansu. So you had to one be sure that that wasn't going to cause a rebellion within it. hold on a fucking second I'll give you some money back but it can't even go into him. Okay, they don't feel like that about Ansu. So safe ground. But The thing that made it inevitable was and 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 poor, poor old Mendes short of a bob or two hardly gets any transfer deals. His client system George don't don't arse around here. Get a deal but we're staying. I've told them I don't want to go anywhere. Get this deal done. Players and agents don't face that situation all the time. Agents are always saying to players, don't make it easy for them. Pretend you're, you've got offers. Pretend you're not happy. Blah, blah, blah. Don't talk to the president, you know. Um, Ansu told everybody who'd listen, as did his father. Oh, yeah, we're staying. They, they, at the moment, they're, If he and his family are head over heels in love with the club Now then you know what will they feel like in two three years if they get things going again but that's what made the deal so easily doable and so
1: told everybody who'd listen i'm staying okay that's it for the first part of this month's cuny we'll be back tomorrow with more from pete and graham thanks to the socios who sent questions in and thanks to you for listening bye bye <laughs>